Warning, this episode contains crimes against children. Listener discretion is advised. Hey y'all, this is May, and I want to welcome you to Crimes of a Decade, a Texas true crime podcast. This season, I will be discussing murders from the year 2000 through 2009. Today's story is of a male murderer from 2001. So grab you some Whataburger and open that Dr. Pepper. Let's go back in time to the year 2001. The top movie in 2001 was Hannibal. There were two big reality shows that started in 2001, Fear Factor and The Amazing Race. Another thing that happened in 2001 was a tragedy that left a family devastated. Please join me in walking down Erie Lane. phone rang and rang and kept ringing. No answer. But when the phone rang for Linda Sheets, she answered and was notified that her daughter, 34-year-old Tammy Hankins, didn't show up to open her store that morning. It was Wednesday, August 29, 2001. This was odd, as Tammy was the manager of a Burger King in Arlington, Texas. She was known to work from opening to well after dark, so Linda went to investigate after she learned this news. She went to the kids' school and found out two of Tammy's kids hadn't been to school since the previous Friday. So Linda, another relative, and Tammy's boss drove over to Tammy's mobile home. Outside, they smelt the undeniable stench of decomposition. But Linda knew she had to go inside, so they used their spare key and walked in to a mother's worst nightmare. A bunch of clothes were piled up on Tammy's bed. When Linda moved them, she saw her strong, outspoken daughter's lifeless body. Then saw that another bed and the couch also had clothes piled up on top. And that is where she found the lifeless bodies of her grandkids. Kevin Galley, 12, who had been excited about being a 7th grader and playing football, and Ashley Mason, 11, a quiet, sweet girl who had hoped to be in the 6th grade band at school. This news was horrifying, but she knew exactly who the police should look at, Tammy's estranged husband, Terry Lee Hankins. Terry Hankins grew up in poverty with his father, Ernie Hankins, and countless of his father's girlfriends, two of which he claimed to have had sex with as a teenager. He also had some physical handicaps, a clubbed foot and mangled hand, which kids at school would make fun of him for. So when he met Tammy at the age of 19, he decided to marry the 27-year-old mother of three. He later stated... This was to escape his home life, 
but that he didn't respect her because her three young children had three fathers. They were married on February 22, 1994. They had a rocky seven-year relationship, and during this time, Tammy became distant from her parents because they didn't approve of the marriage. Chip Molnix, Tammy's ex-husband, also took issue with the marriage. He always feared leaving his son with his ex-wife's new husband, a man he knew from childhood to be flat-out mean. His worst suspicions were realized that horrifying night and was thankful his 10-year-old son was visiting grandparents that day. Terry was the kind of guy who would pull the wings off a butterfly and watch it die and then laugh, Molnick said. I feel very lucky to still have my son, but he's having a very hard time without his mother. We all are. Hankett said he left his wife after a series of arguments, stating, She said I was neglecting Kevin and Ashley, that I wouldn't buy them things she needed. So Hankins moved out, but even still, the police had become very familiar with this family, as they had been called to the trailer park four times over four months for domestic disturbances, fighting, and breaking and entering. At this time, Hankins was living with some friends, Ruthie Bradley and her husband, for a little over a year. About three weeks before these horrible murders took place, Tammy and Barbara Fox, Terry's girlfriend at the time, bailed Terry out of jail. He was in there because he had beat up Ruthie. Why Tammy decided to bail him out is a mystery, but this decision led to her death. Terry was drinking heavily at the mobile home on the night of Sunday, August 26, when he and Tammy began arguing over petty stuff. The next thing he remembers is hearing the noise and smelling the gunpowder, realizing he just shot Tammy with a 45 caliber pistol, and then proceeded to shoot Kevin and Ashley while they slept. After this, he took Tammy's car and drove to his girlfriend, Barbara's house, where he stayed until police arrested him Thursday, August 30th. But not until after a five-hour-long standoff, where he was armed and threatened Barbara's 39-year-old sister and her 10-year-old daughter that lived in the apartment. But they managed to leave the apartment during the five-hour negotiations. Then members of the Arlington SWAT team quietly entered the apartment and arrested him. Terry Hankins waived his rights and sat down to talk to detectives, where he admitted to killing his wife and stepchildren. As they continued to talk to Terry, he decided to open up to them about a secret he had been keeping for about 10 months. He admitted that he also killed two more members of his family, his 55-year-old father, Ernie Hankins, and his 20-year-old half-sister, Pearl Sissy Stevenstar. And we will get back to the story right after this quick break. I would like to introduce you to an amazing online clothing store, The Well Clothing Boutique. Shop at thewellclothing.com 
for effortless and on-trend pieces to add to your closet. Plus, there's always free shipping. They carry sizes from small to 2XL, and you can also find your favorite piece of jewelry at the well to jazz up your outfit. Check out their Instagram, at The Well Clothing. Sissy was Terry's half-sister. They shared a father, and according to his confession, their mothers were actually sisters. In the fall of 2000, Sissy was living with Terry at the Bradley's house. Before the separation, she lived with Terry and Tammy when she was a teenager, but this is where she started having sex with Terry and ended up running away. But she came back to Terry. At trial, Ruthie testified observing that Hankins allowed Sissy to leave their bedroom only to use the bathroom or return food to the kitchen, and that Sissy appeared mentally challenged and was afraid of Hankins. She went on to state that when she noticed Sissy starting to gain weight in September 2000, she made her take a pregnancy test that turned out positive. When they told Hankins, he was unfazed and said Sissy would move to a home for unwed mothers. And after that, she didn't see Sissy again. Although the news of this pregnancy seemed like a big deal, they had been through this before, as Sissy and Terry already had a son together. He was three years old at the time and lived with adoptive parents. Along with the pregnancy news, Sissy also figured out Terry and Ruthie were having an affair and she threatened to tell Mr. Bradley. An argument broke out between the half-siblings, and Terry said he just lost it and bludgeoned her to death with a jack stand. Knowing he had to get rid of the body, he stuffed her into a storage trunk and left it in his room. Two days later, he then moved her body and the trunk to a car at his father's towing and auto repair business. As for his father's murder, he had been drinking and arguing with him when Ernie pulled out a gun and threatened him. When Terry snatched the gun away, he shot his father in the head, claiming he wasn't sure if it was intentional or not. His father fell back into his recliner, and that is where he stayed until the police located him due to Terry's confession. When they found him, he was severely decomposed, and had many air fresheners around him to help relieve the horrible stench. Terry also made sure to pay his father's rent and mow the lawn to avoid suspicion, and if anyone did ask of the whereabouts of his half-sister or father, he would simply say, they moved in with relatives in another state. Investigators found the bodies the day after Hankins' arrest. He was held on a $1 million bond and stayed in jail until his trial in May 2002. May 7, 2002, Terry Hankins pleads not guilty to the charge of killing his two stepchildren, Tammy was not included in the charge, but was mentioned throughout the trial, 
And so his trial began in front of a jury of six men and six women. Assistant District Attorney Elizabeth Berry said in her opening statement that the evidence would show that Mr. Hankins was guilty of the slains, which he admitted committing to investigators. The confession to Mansfield Police is going to tell you all you need to know about who killed Kevin Gailey and Ashley Mason. She said, Terry Lee Hankins committed the senseless act of the Capitol murders. In the defense opening statement Tuesday, they believed that six written paragraphs should set their client free. His attorney said that officers did not have probable cause to issue a brief arrest warrant and that all subsequent evidence linking him to a triple slain in Mansfield is no good. But the defense wouldn't present this evidence until later in the trial. Instead, Tuesday mostly focused on testimony over the discovery of the bodies of the children and their mother and the evidence found there, including two handwritten notes, one on the back of an envelope and the other on an insufficient fund statement from a North Texas bank. The statements are as follows. I guess to sum it up, I am guilty of murder, incest, hatred, fraud, theft, jealousy, and envy. In an interview, Hankins stated that this note was not written at the time of the murders, but said, that was in a box. I was babbling. It was written long before that. The next note said, so this is how it all ends. Well, at least I took several bad people with me. My life had already been messed up. What everyone else didn't do, I pretty much destroyed myself. The defense attorney believed that the jury should disregard Hankins' confession because the allegations in the arrest affidavit don't establish a probable cause connecting Hankins to capital murder. There is a significant, distinctive difference between reasonable suspicion and probable cause to arrest, Robert Ford said. And since the defense believed the biggest piece of evidence for the prosecution was Terry's confession, they thought there was no case. Ashley had defensive wounds all over her body, indicative of a struggle. Whose hair was found in her hand? It was Terry Lee Hankins' hair, the prosecutor said. During closing arguments Monday morning, the prosecutor reminded jurors how forensic experts testified that bullets near his stepchildren's bodies were fired from a gun found when Hankins was apprehended August 30th and told jurors the affidavit contained enough facts pointing to Hankins' guilt, including the confession note found near Ashley's body and his slain wife's car found at his girlfriend's apartment. You do not have to let a guilty man walk out of this courtroom, she said. The jury deliberated less than 30 minutes before finding Terry Lee Hankins, 27, guilty of the murders. During the punishment phase is when jurors were able to hear about the murders of Hankins' father and stepsister. And in May 2002, they sentenced him to death. In March of 2003, Hankins filed an appeal raising 12 points of error. However, his verdict and sentence was upheld by the Court of Appeals. He then exhausted all his appeals and his execution date was set.
says death row, we say hell no. Perry says death row, we say hell no. What do we want? Abolition. When do we want it? Now. What do we want? Abolition. When do we want it? Now. The evening of June 2nd, 2009, the sound of activists could be heard yelling out in front of the Huntsville Walls unit where the next execution was to take place at 6 p.m. Other activists could be found in Austin at the Texas Capitol, downtown Houston, in Europe gathered outside U.S. embassies, and in Montreal in a large die-in, which is a form of protest in which participants simulate being dead, was being held by activists dressed in black, wearing white plastic face masks, and holding signs with the image of the state of Texas on them. Why was this particular execution bringing such a large protest worldwide? It was the 200th execution since Governor Rick Perry came into office in December 2000. Governor Perry has allowed more executions to proceed than any other governor in U.S. history. The anti-death penalty community was asking people to come protest, but if they couldn't, to contact Perry's office that day and ask him to abolish the death penalty in Texas, as well as donate 200 cents to an anti-death penalty organization. This symbolic 200 cents goes towards helping them organize against the Texas death penalty. That is one penny for every execution under Rick Perry. I went into a little bit of the relationship between Texas and the death penalty in episode two, Rob Will, Year 2000. So make sure to check out that episode to hear more information on this subject, as in this episode, I will be going into new facts. In Texas, the cost of an average death penalty case is nearly three times higher than imprisoning someone for life without the possibility of parole. The average cost to house an inmate in Texas prisons is $47.50 per day, according to Michelle Lyons, spokeswoman for the Texas Department of Criminal Justice. Thus, it would cost about $17,340 to house an inmate for a year and $693,500 for 40 years, far less than even part of the death penalty costs. The Regional Public Defender's Office estimates that just the legal costs for a death penalty case from indictment to execution are about $1.2 million. The state of Texas has executed 569 people since 1982, 279 of those under Rick Perry's watch from 2000 to 2015. And on June 2nd, 2009, with protesters outside, Terry Hankins was executed at the age of 34 as the 200th execution under Rick Perry. Ruthie, who was beaten badly by Terry, was also there. She chose to witness his death as a form of closure. The reason I was there was to make that fear of him I had for seven years go away. He has haunted me for seven years, turning my life upside down. He kept mouthing to me, Ruthie, I am sorry. I believed him that he's sorry, but that doesn't mean I can forgive him for what he did. Tammy's sister, Melissa Bryce, and her mother, Linda Sheets, attended the press conference, but chose not to witness Hankin's death 
but instead to remember the family they lost. Terry and I talked a couple of weeks ago, and he apologized then, Sheet said. He seemed very remorseful about what he did, especially to the children. I accept his apology, Bryce said in the press conference following the execution, but that doesn't take away the pain of the things he did. As I close, I would like to end with a quote from Terry Hankins in an interview with the Star-Telegram. I'm very sorry. I'm not happy. I'm not proud. It was my family, too. I can't replace what I've taken. I can't justify what I've done. I know this is not right or normal. The shortest word for it is... I'm trying to think of something evil. I still think that's putting it lightly. I want to say a huge thank you to the Star-Telegram, Murderpedia, Court Records, Plainview Daily Herald, Death Penalty Info, and many others that I will link to in the show notes for all the information on this case. Thank y'all for joining me for another episode of Crimes of a Decade, a Texas true crime podcast. Please join me next week when we discuss a female murderer from the year 2002. And if you are enjoying this podcast, I would love for you to subscribe to make sure you don't miss an episode. You can find me on Instagram at Crimes of a Decade Pod, on Twitter at Crimes of a Decade, and you can also email me at Crimes of a Decade at gmail.com.